Today on Ag News Daily. I'm of the opinion, Mike, that if we didn't have these rains, the whole grain complex would be at a much lower level. Happy Monday, folks. Today is Monday, May 22nd. My name is Delaney Howell, and I am one of the hosts for the Ag News Daily podcast. Joining me on the road is Mike Pearson. Howdy, Delaney. How are you doing this uh, beautiful Monday afternoon? I'm not too bad. How about you? Can't complain. We saw a little bit of sun this morning, and I tell mm-hmm. you, that was just enough to give me to give me hope to move forward. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you had a rough weekend. It was a rough weekend. I am sick and tired of dealing with mud. And you had a baby calf that got trampled? Yeah. Aw, yeah, poor baby. Really, it is sad. It's one of those things, though. I suppose yeah. most of our listeners can probably relate to it. They've had it happen one time or yep. another. It's just... Just the way it goes sometimes. Mm-hmm. That's All right. All right. Well, so we have a fun interview today. We've got a new analyst joining us on Ag News Daily. We're going to be joined mm-hmm. by Tommy Grizzafi. That's right. Yeah, he, he was uh, fun to talk to, and it's yeah. fun to get a new analyst on. Yeah, get new perspectives and uh, get their thoughts on the markets. But uh, Delaney, what do you got? Uh, anything in the world of news affecting agriculture that we need to be aware of today? This week is going to be very White House heavy. There's a lot of things going on in D.C. this week. The budget is expected to be released tomorrow. And one of the big things that's kind of gaining some traction is that President Trump has proposed, I think, over a 25 percent cut to the SNAP program, which used to be food stamps. Um, And so it would be over the next 10 years. $193 $193 billion would be cut in that program. And, you know, you've got to wonder, hopefully, if the economy continues to improve, maybe those are numbers we can we can handle without it costing too many people, uh, you mm-hmm. know, some food. Yeah, and I was looking at an article on quartz, which isn't something I've ever really heard of. I was just looking at the SNAP program itself, and it has an interesting breakdown of the people that use SNAP and a large portion of them were unemployed and not looking for work, like 11 million people. Huh. So uh, those folks probably also won't be too much affected by a change in tax policy, but the House Ways and Means Committee has added five new staffers to their tax policy uh, uh, group, and basically these folks are going to be looking at new ways to reform the tax code so that perhaps uh, some of that can take effect. And of course, one of the big proposals in that tax bill was eliminating the inheritance tax or the death tax. So Delaney, it sounds like that is probably going to live to at least see a vote in the House of Representatives at some point. And is that scheduled for any time soon? Did you know that? No, it, it doesn't look like they're up for a vote. They're still just kind of fleshing out the basics. Okay. Well, up for a vote today, is going to be Governor Iowa, uh, Iowa Governor Terry Branstead's vote for ambassador, and again he's expected to to get the 50 votes he needs with flying colors, but he's got a, he's got a lot of things to do once he gets to China, and he is only the fifth ambassador in Trump's administration to be confirmed. Oh wow! And so yeah, yeah, he's got a lot on his plate. I mean, especially because China is one of the biggest relationships or biggest markets that the U.S. really needs. And so another 
facet to that story is the U.S. poultry is now talking to uh, talking to Branstead and trying to get him to better relationship with China, not only for beef, but the poultry industry wants U.S. poultry products to get back into China. So that's another part of that poultry poultry um, extension that we talked about last week. The U.S. poultry has industry hasn't had poultry in China since 2015. And so in 2014, that industry was worth $315 million. So after the bird flu outbreak in 2015, China said, no, we're not taking any more poultry. And so that's one of the hopes from the poultry industry is that um, Terry can not only get beef in, into China, but also U.S. poultry. So, Delaney, you know, you're talking about Governor Branstad and you're calling him Terry. It sounds like you're on a first name basis. I know. I, did, I just slipped and said it. It's probably not really respectful since he's in a public office, but. And our uh, future ambassador to China. Yeah. China, which, of course, is not part of America. Delaney, did you know that? What? It isn't? It isn't. And so the House Ways and Means Committee, here's my segue. That was that actually took a lot of thought. <laughs> so my segue is the House Ways and Means Committee has a hearing tomorrow on the border adjustment tax. And so this was the tax first proposed by Paul Ryan. The idea being we could repeal corporate income tax in this country by taxing goods that come across our border. So we wouldn't tax exports, just tax imports. Sounds an awful lot like a tariff. And uh, their witnesses tomorrow are uh, basically um, there are those for and against it. So as this hearing goes on tomorrow, we will uh, definitely bring people an update. One of the big people they've got talking is Juan Luciano, who is the president of ADM, Archer Daniels Midland. Mm -hmm. And he is in the pro border tax group, which I which kind of surprised me. Why is that? Just because, you know, I guess ADM, they, sh they ship a lot of stuff out. I, I guess they must not be importing very much stuff. But I guess it doesn't surprise me upon further reflection, but uh, <laughs> it jumped out at me. Let's put it that way. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, do you have any other news for us? Yeah, I had another. China's definitely in the news today. I mean, wow. I have another story related to China, um, and this was on AgWeb. Well, it's actually reported by Bloomberg, but it was on AppWeb. And it said that China is going to carry out a nationwide poll next month to test the public's acceptance of genetically modified food. Hey, hey, that's good news. Yeah, I know. This is interesting, too. China is the world's fourth largest grower of GMO cotton and the top importer of soybeans, which we knew. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's part of the decision to do this is because... They do raise GMO crops, but none directly related to food. And so food safety is the issue of skepticism largely amongst the Chinese people. And they want to, you know, hold this survey and see really what the public's concern is about GMO crops and GMO foods. Interesting. It'd be good to get, uh, well, I guess, you know, it's kind of a, a pro-con thing. Mm-hmm. From an American perspective, I guess we don't care what their thoughts are as long as they buy our soybeans. Right. Um, but the flip side is, just as a matter of science, it's nice to see them take a step back from that fear-based uh, policy and uh, mm -hmm. look at what all biotech can do for them over there. Yeah, definitely. Mm. 
Anything else jumping out? Uh, also, at you? just yeah, yeah. We still following what's going on in Brazil, and now I think yesterday Reuters reported that demonstrators have been gathering across Brazil, calling for the resignation of Michel Temer, who is Brazil's current president. Huh. So it, it just continues to explode down there. I, I can't imagine what the people are feeling. You know, everybody's shocked, I'm sure, by everything that's been happening. Well, and as Pedro mentioned on Friday, uh, Pedro Ferreira, who was on our program, mm. you know, he said, I, I, it didn't really come off as surprise, just like, ugh, here we go again. You know, he talked yeah. about the long process of impeachment, and they just did it last year, and you know, now it sounds like it, it's probably pretty frustrating to be gearing up for that same kind mm -hmm. of uh, political folder all once again. Yeah, and apparently they've been going through a very historic recession, and this is, I'm sure, not helping that. Right, right, yeah. And, you know, they were really, the plan was Michel Temer, when he came on, by golly, we're going to get this place squared around, and, you know, yeah. now they're they're mired in the muck again. But mm -hmm. uh, things change, they always do, I suppose. Yep. Yep, now, yep, definitely. Before we throw it over to uh, Tommy Grizafi, should we look at where these markets close today, Delaney? Yeah, I think we should, Mike. Let's do that. Let's start by looking at the corn market. July corn closed up two and a half cents, finished the day at three seventy five even. December corn also up two and a half cents, closed at three ninety two and three quarters. Soybeans, the front month July contract up three and a half cents, finished at nine fifty six and a half. November beans up four and a half cents, closed the day at nine fifty six and a quarter. Down in Chicago wheat, the July wheat contract lost a penny, dropped all the way down to four thirty-four and a quarter. The December wheat contract was unchanged on the day, finished today just like yesterday at four sixty-nine and three quarters. Looking down at livestock, live cattle, the June contract up forty-seven and a half cents, closed at one twenty-three ninety-two and a half. The August contract also, oh excuse me, no, the August contract up ninety-seven, almost a dollar, up ninety-seven and a half cents, closed at a dollar twenty-two oh two and a half. In feeder cattle, front month May feeders up 90 cents, finished the day at 144.25. The August contract up 232 and a half, closed at 152.77 and a half. So we did have some strength there in the livestock markets, and I apologize, I do not have right with me the lean hog numbers, but I will get them uh, before we finish Tommy's interview. Oh, do you have hogs, Delaney? Let's hear you yeah. with lean hogs. Um, okay, June hogs, lean hogs closed down 15 cents, ending the day at 79.35. July contract also down 12 and a half, ending the day at 80.05. With that, Mike, do you want to kick it off to Tommy? Let's do that, folks. Today we're talking to Tommy Grizafi. He is a broker with ATI, Advanced Trading, and he is a Valparaiso, Indiana fella. And he gives himself a pretty good introduction. Let's just turn it over and hear what Tommy has to say about the markets. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We're joined today by a very enigmatic man, a man who probably doesn't need much of an introduction. A lot of folks, especially around the Twitter world, know him. He is Tommy Grizafi. You can find him on Twitter at Indiana Grain Co. Tommy, what are you working with right now? Who do you work with and what do you do? Well, Mike, I, uh, I live in Valparaiso, Indiana, and I have a place in uh, North Dakota, just north of Fargo. And so I bounce in between... Uh, Indiana. I'm about an hour away from the Board of Trade. And then I work the state of North Dakota for advanced trading. And so we work with uh, 
grain elevators and farmers and I'm on the farmer side so we have a lot of relationships with grain elevators but uh, I'm not doing that I'm helping farmers sell their grain and sometimes we use futures and options sometimes farmers don't want to use futures and options and then uh, makes our job a little harder because once they sell the grain then you know the sales a sale but uh, we also work with several uh, cattle guys and as you know from firsthand experience uh, the cattle and the hogs uh, very very active market and just when it seemed like the world was ending uh, things brightened up and cattle are the market to trade right now so spending a lot of time working with cattle producers trying to manage the risk I can't say we're always 100 percent in control because that's just a wild market with a lot of volatility that's the mm-hmm. truth. Yeah. So what commodities do you market in Indiana? Is it all just corn, soybeans, and wheat? Do you have any cotton? What else do you do? No, just corn, soybeans, not a lot of wheat, uh, okay. cattle, small, mm-hmm. some dairies. I live down the street from a huge dairy called Fair Oaks. Uh, we don't okay. do any business with them, but uh, they're definitely a player in the dairy market. And a lot of my growers here grow uh, seed for Pioneer and Monsanto, and um, they're, they're going to sell that grain based on percentages to those companies, but they'll still come to the Board of Trade for uh, some hedging purposes uh, during the year. But uh, Indiana's pretty vanilla. We, you know, we have some <laughs> large hog producers. I don't work with the, the hog guys real well. My specialty is definitely corn. Um, I still have my seat at the Board of Trade, and I spent most of my career in the corn pit. So of all the commodities, uh, I, I like when they're all busy soybeans and corn and wheat and uh, but I definitely probably understand corn the best and uh, if you could be so confident to say you understand anything about markets when uh, you, you get a thing where the Brazilian president mm-hmm. says he you know he's in trouble and then the uh, real has a major move so there's a lot of things that move markets that we just try to educate people on and keep those points uh, you know up to up to point yeah, yeah, keep everybody on point. Now, Tommy, one of the things that, that you and I actually were just talking about before we went on the air was the amount of rainfall that's fallen across the Corn Belt. We see reports of farmers that are out there looking at their second replant. Um, when are we going to see the market take notice of this? You know, Mike, I think it is. And, and I did a conference call last night with my growers called it Ag Squawk. It's just a Sunday night conference call. And I said, I got good news and bad news. You know, the good news is beans are up five tonight, corn's up one. And that is your market rally for now. And so what I am of the opinion of is that the market would be a lot lower if we weren't having these uh, second rains, you know, guys who are replanting second replant. When I say second rains, I mean second replant. Yeah. So. I'm of the opinion, Mike, that if we didn't have these rains, the whole grain complex would be at a much lower level. And uh, we're yeah. starting to get some things happening all across the, the world with it's cold in Russia, uh, the protein levels in the in the Texas wheat crop are low, so there's some quality issues. But I think this is our market rally. And unfortunately, it's going to – now, what it might be doing us – uh, a big favor is setting us up for a bad stand where the crop's so used to getting water that if we go hot and dry, uh, there's, you know, the roots aren't deep. If the crop's getting pushed back, we could pollinate into a much warmer period. And I'm starting to become of the opinion that, you know, it's going to, every day that goes by like this, we're getting harder, having a harder time trying to stay at that trend line yield. So if you're a, someone who believes corn will be above 170, I'm also starting to think in the end there might be a few less acres planted. So 
There is a bull story, a little less acres, uh, not as great of a stand as years before. The overlying problem, or the you know the the thing that's like, all right, I get it. Why aren't we going up? Is that there's a lot of bushels left over. So, uh, I just got off the phone before you called with a grower from North Dakota, and they said I'm going to have to sell this corn in the next four weeks, aren't I? And oftentimes I talk about the second harvest, and I think when I say second harvest, people get that confused for prices have to go lower. That's not true at all. Farmers are holding that'll be sold in this June, July, August time period. And as you know, my, I know, and you, you have some of the smartest people in the industry come on your show. Last year, Dees Corn made its low on August 31st, and we hit 315, and that was the exact time that all these bushels that are put on DP, when the elevator called the farmers and said, hey, you need to price those bushels, I'm not legally allowed to carry. So it's okay to put you know bushels at the elevator or store them in your grains, be long cash corn, but at some point, people need to make room for that to end up for uh, 2017's crop. And Am I the, of the opinion 2017 is going to be a record crop? Not at this point, but do we need it? Not really. So, uh, but you know, there's a story here. There's a story, and so our big up move was that corn closed up three today on more planting delays. That's that's as good as we can get today. All right. So you're not uh, you're not too fired up about us seeing four dollar December corn. We're not that far from it. I on my conference call last night, I talked about. We're only 10 cents away from being on the highs of the year. So if corn's high is 404 and we're 394, we could be there by the end of the week, and then we could be 324 next week. But what gets us above that and keeps us going, I'm not sure, because as you and I know, as the market goes up, it's going to be met by farmer selling. Now, if the market went up at a fast pace, the funds were covering, and the farmer held their ground and didn't sell right away, you know, we could have a couple explosive up moves. And... Uh, but there's just there's still just a a lot of grain around, and you know what's frustrating is I'm sitting here talking to you, watching the stock market. Here, the Dow Jones is up 100 again, and Jeez. all the money wants to be in the equities. We need money to become, you know, we need commodities to become popular. Whether it become crude oil, uh, the money comes to crude oil or sugar or corn. Right now, it's just not popular to own commodities, and when that changes, we can see a. A, you know, a large shift in prices and that a dynamic. And Mike, we'll see that where what I look at guys like me with all the screens on the wall, we're looking at volatility. We're looking at how aggressively is someone paying for a call? How aggressively is someone willing to protect downside call the put? And right now volatility is low, which means the bookies, the bookies at the Chicago Board of Trade corn <laughs> option pit don't think corn can move too much. And that's what they're doing. You know, they're they're not sure you know what team's going to win but for 10 cents they'll take either side and you know when we get volatile that that bet becomes 20 and you know for people like me who own a seat and are speculating it's a bet for farmers it's not a bet it's not speculation there's someone in chicago willing to or somewhere anywhere in the world with these computers who's willing to take the other side of that so we're not that far away maybe at the end of the week Okay. Say, you know what? Corn closed the week at contract highs, highest point in the year. Uh, now, Tommy, I would like to switch markets. I know corn is your strength, but soybeans have been hit dramatically by what's going on in Brazil. I mean, have we even reached, what did it drop, 31 cents last week? Yeah, it, it, it did on that uh, Thursday scenario. Thursday, yeah. And then we yep. gained some back Friday. We were up about 6 or 7 on uh, Friday and at 1.9 or 10, and then we picked up today so we're gently getting it back and, and and all that happened and we had to explain this to the american growers is that just imagine waking up and soybeans are a dollar fifty higher yeah. would you price some would you protect protect mm -hmm. some and so 
um, the, the Brazilian farmer can't use our markets as much as they need to. They can use our markets, but they could buy all the futures, sell all the futures, puts, calls. They could do all that. But when their currency has a move like that, the number one thing they could be holding is their cash grain. And so, you know, they went to bed with the equivalent of the $9 beans, and they woke up with ten fifty. And we think, you know, 10 to 15 percent of their crop was sold, priced, or protected within a few hours of the open on uh, Thursday morning. And even we saw it come in uh, uh, Wednesday night into that Thursday morning time slot. So uh, they were being patient. They waited for their opportunity. I don't think anyone could have seen this coming. And, you know, sometimes when we talk about black swans, people think that need to be a negative event. Well, for Brazilian farmer, they had a black swan that was a positive. To the American farmer who isn't forward sold or protected, they're like, hey, I thought the crop was a little delayed. Why are we down 30 cents? Oh, yeah, we're delayed, but the you know Brazilian farmer just picked up $1.50 on a record, record, record crop, so they took mm-hmm. advantage of it. And so currencies play a role in this more probably than when we're in America. We're proud to be an American. We're, we're a little overconfident, and we forget that <laughs> John Deere sending a lot of these tractors over to uh, uh, the former Russia, Ukraine, and South America, and everywhere else, Monsanto's sending seed all over the world. And you know, all these input companies aren't just making inputs for American farmers, they're making them for the world farmer, and uh, they're taking advantage of that. Now, speaking of uh, of consumers, actually, around the world, we did get news here, I guess it's been about two weeks, that some beef is going to start going into China. Uh, how excited does that get you about uh, the live cattle market looking out at the summer? It, it, it's really exciting. It's a, a very dynamic market. Um, you look at live cattle futures versus corn futures, and there's you know, a, a large amount of open interest in corn. Cattle open interest isn't quite there. There's some interesting things going on with the basis. We've had a positive basis in the cattle market for a while. When I talk to growers who are cow-calf operations or they're you know, backgrounding or any form of that feeder market, uh, they don't always price their, you know, when you've owned a thousand mamas and you've owned them for 10 years you kind of forget that you have that asset sitting there on your books the bank doesn't forget but boy did that asset asset go up in value in in value from when we had feeders down at the the lower levels i know we had fats below 100 i can't remember how low feeders went to say 115 then all of a sudden we're double triple limit up and you got a feeder board that says 160 in front of it when you own that animal and and that's just that's a heck of an increase in, in an asset and a lot of times guys don't, on the cow-calf operation, they're not hedging the moms. You know, they'll hedge the babies as they, as they drop, but uh, they forget that they own a 1,000 of those, you know, animals and how much the value went up. That's really fun. You could hear it in the guys' voices for all the doom and gloom, and the gals' voices, too, who I have to call to send money in yeah. or send money home. <laughs> so a lot of times I'm dealing with the farmers' wives. They're, I'm talking to them probably more than the actual rancher because they're keeping track of the books. And there's a lot of money. This agriculture game, as you know, uh, has really, really changed. You know, Mike, if I could ask you one question. Yeah. What What are you seeing? That time you taught me something. I really learned a lot from it. When you taught me about pay attention to how much concrete's being poured for these hog buildings. <laughs> are they still pouring concrete all over Iowa and South Dakota for these hog buildings? They are. I was actually talking to a uh, to an elevator group here. It's probably been about a month ago, and they are still going up like crazy. Uh, they're still looking, I think, to fill the demand of these massive new processing 
plants that are going in in uh, north central and northwest Iowa. And yeah, it is, I think it might have slowed down a little bit from the last two summers. But with this rally, I mean, you know, it's now it's getting a little long in the tooth and the lean hogs, Tommy. You know, why wouldn't they? When they can lock in $70 hogs out through October, oh, well, that looks like a grow signal to me. Right, and that hog cycle is so much quicker than that cattle cycle. When you're in the cattle business, there is no, well, you know, after this batch, we're done. I mean, you're just in it. These hogs, people come in the business, get out of the business, throw mm-hmm. them up, take them down. Uh, but uh, it's it seems like that's corn's hidden secret right there. Our ability domestically to use all this corn and not talk about exports means we're going to have to sell them to someone. That could be the bull story in corn for many years to come is the hogs, the chickens, the turkeys, uh, the cattle, and, and what we can do with our, our grain we grow internally to take that product, uh, finish it, and then send it to China. So China's committed to wanting the best beef in the world. Let's feed them some locally grown corn and DDGs and some other goodies and and process that beef and send it to China. And I imagine that's what's happening with a lot of our hogs, if I had to guess. Yeah, and great I, I think we saw first quarter of 2017 record hog exports to China. So I, I think you're exactly right. We're adding value here in this country and uh, shipping it to buyers overseas. Right. I never thought America's hidden secret was that we could grow corn and put it in a vessel and send it. <laughs> I'd much rather send a $10 soybean in bushel than a $3.50 corn bushel. And even if that corn becomes four fifty, I think we're still way more efficient to, to create and ship the finished product than we are the raw product. Mike, that's just my opinion, but it seems to make sense. So, Tommy, I just have one final question for you. So the budgets are coming out this week, and one of the big things is that crop insurance is probably going to get a big axe to it. Do you think that's going to make farmers scared? What do you think that's going to do to the markets? Well, I just that's funny you say that. I just got off the phone with a, a large crop insurance agent up in North Dakota who's in D.C., and uh, they always go out there worried, and they always go out there thinking the worst. But uh, usually D.C. has the farmer's back. Crop insurance is uh, food security. Um, when you look at our health care bill, it's called the affordable health care bill. When you look at the food bill, it's called the affordable food bill. It's not to anyone's benefit to have the American farmer fail and have a crop failure and not get paid for it. So sometimes mm-hmm. the American farmer doesn't receive the best price they would like for their crop, but they also have that guarantee, that floor, that, that crop insurance that says if something goes wrong we got your back and it costs money but it's the best insurance you can buy it's better than any futures or options it's government-backed insurance you combine that with futures and options you have something powerful and uh, I think it would be a mistake for the government to take away crop insurance Um, I've seen them try it in the past and even for a day or two write it in a bill but uh, you get enough farmers on the phone and let's not forget who who they say uh, helped really push this president over the right. uh, over the top? It was the flyover states, and so they're mm-hmm. going to be talking about reelection soon enough. And you put agriculture in a chokehold, and you're going to hear from them. So uh, we can't have Dow twenty-one thousand every day, and then have the farmers struggling. And uh, there was an article that came out this morning from uh, uh, one of the online. Uh, you know, bloggers talking about mm-hmm. Zero Hedge, and he's controversial, whatever. Yeah. But uh, Zero Hedge talked about farm debt, and, you know, I don't know if all the numbers, I didn't do the fact checks on the numbers, but uh, 
that you know debt's starting to go up there and guys are starting to get in a little bit of trouble. So I, I do hope to answer your question that they don't change um, the crop insurance bill much. I, I like it. My growers like it. Our crop insurance uh, folks who partner with Advanced Trading to you know help farmers lay off risk, that's a great tool. We don't sell it, but we're 100% for it. It's just another tool to have in your tool. Hey, Mike, wouldn't wouldn't a hog or cattle producer love to have some type of form of crop mm. insurance? Oh man, that that would be incredible. It would, and there is there's the uh, the they livestock right. risk. There's a there's a small one, and I've LR LRM L livestock. Yeah, but it's it's not used by very many folks. It's uh, effectively a subsidized put. But yeah, I mean, it's a tremendous opportunity for American growers of corn, soybeans, wheat. Now I think there's something like 36 different crops covered under crop insurance. So, Tommy, before we let you go, can you tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you if they'd uh, like some more of your insight? Well, thank you. Obviously, I'm on uh, Twitter at Indiana Grain Co. I have a 1-800 number at Advanced Trading, 1-800-664-4383. And, you know, Mike and, and crew, I love traveling around the country and meet farmers but i spend most of my time here in the midwest in the flyover states and then we fly up to north dakota and we go work with guys up there so more than willing to come see you you guys take a lot of risk we have a lot of respect for you let let us help you you keep doing what you're good at and we'll keep doing what we're good at that sounds fantastic tommy grizzoffi thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today thank you Again, that was Tommy Grisafi, and maybe he can become another one of our regular market analysts here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, because as Mike and I have decided, we're just going to dedicate Mondays completely to the markets. Yep, Monday is market day, but of course, next Monday for our American friends is Memorial Day, so we will be, we're both going to be on the lake, Delaney, that's going to be kind of fun. I know, different lakes, but yeah, yeah, it will be fun. Different lakes. Looking forward to getting out, uh, hopefully enjoying some good weather, grilling up some delicious steaks. Yeah. But we're not to next week (laughs) yet. We've got more podcasts this week. Tell us who we're talking to tomorrow. Well, Mike, on tomorrow we are talking to the American Soybean Association Vice President, who is located in Iowa, coincidentally. We're going to be talking soybeans with him. And then on Wednesday, we will be talking to a researcher from Valent, She does a lot of stuff here in the Midwest, but she also gets to travel to South America sometimes, so we will get to talk to her about all the research she has done. Uh, Other than that, what else do you have planned, Mike? All kinds of fun things are up my sleeve, Delaney. We're going to have a fun, (laughs) fun week. We're going to have a lot to talk about, of course. We will keep an eye on things down in Brazil and the future of Michel Temer as well as what continues to happen in this country. And so if that's news that you like, ladies and gentlemen, do subscribe to us on iTunes. And, Delaney, can we say with confidence that a website will be up by Friday? Yes. yes. I have been working all, all weekend on it. It is a lot of work, to be, basically because I have to go in and upload all the podcasts we've already done. I'm re-uploading them, and that takes a lot of time, which I didn't realize it would. It does, and we are all very, very grateful for the work Delaney has put into this website. So stay tuned. We will let you know when it is live, listeners, and uh, hopefully it can become a another resource in your battle for profitability on the farm. And with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. 